Jackson, the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, good Thursday. Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher, and boy, do we have a jam-packed football show for you. And we will go bull predictions, which will be uh, some basketball, some football-related, or maybe all football-related. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with that. Um, as usual, Mike has put a lot of thought into his, and I forget every week that we got to do mine. But you know what happens? I usually uh, stumble into some W's. Yeah, it's clearly week. paid off for me, right? Uh, yeah, that, that is true. So here's the the idea of the show. We ran out of time on Monday talking about the best. And this is, again, There's it, it's really, it doesn't matter, right, the gist of this. But we got down sort of the rabbit hole of the 30 and 4 team a few years ago. And so as this year was unfolding, because generally speaking, even when 2018 won, it was still – 69-96, it didn't matter which way you put the six or the nine, but somebody would argue that was the winner of the best team and, that, you know, who's first, who's second. So now you got 69-96, and now you got to throw 2021 in the mix. I think that's uh, totally fair. I think there are some things that you get caught up in the moment of the now that happen, and so we've tried to go back. Both of us have done separate research on the three teams, and again, uh, no, no real disrespect to the 2018 team. It's the best, and we said this Monday, if you were to write a movie script of a season that came out and how it played out, I believe 2018 would be that motivational, you know, sort of tears at the end of, of guys' five-year careers. <laughs> what they were able to do? Okay, you all right, dude? What they got really to excited, drank way too much water, went all down my shirt. <laughs> so... Um, but, again, no disrespect to the 2018 team, but I bet the 2018 team would tell you. And, and a lot of the guys are on the 2021 team. We're on the 2018 team. So, that being said, we've taken that conference champion out. We've, we've broken down these three. Now, are you setting forth a criteria of some kind, or are you just, just going to give notes? I give notes, and then we have a mythical vote. What's well, going on Well, great here? question. So, firstly – this is going to be kind of a semi-old-fashioned debate because you and me had about a two- or three-minute conversation about this yesterday, and it was clear that we didn't agree, as we typically do not, which is what makes the show great, I think. Absolutely. Uh, or at least good. Maybe not great. Um, I do have a few criteria I'd like to put out there. Now, here's how I broke it down. I had a, a section I just called historical, quote-unquote, and then a schedule section because I think that's important, too, in trying to compare – who had the tougher road, who did they beat, so on and so forth. And obviously over errors, it's tough to compare to, but <laughs> that's what we're doing. And then offense and defense, too, because I think breaking down each major unit is also, I think, a big part of something like this. I didn't include anything that had to do with support, attendance, anything like that, because records are spotty. You're going to find those types of things included in every retrospective on this season for all of time because four attendance records in six games is pretty crazy. Um, tried to keep dramatics out of it as well, because that can muddy the waters a bit, and I wasn't around for the 69 or 96 team, and that wouldn't be fair to those seasons. Obviously, what made this season that much more special was the fact that it came down to the final play, championship-wise, and then the insane comeback in the postseason against Kennesaw State. Also didn't include any home or away numbers, for kind of the same reason record-wise um, and lack of appearance-wise for me during those teams. Um, just tough to compare those things. 
didn't look at individual awards because the landscape is so much different now. More teams, tons of different places giving awards. Um, statistically, didn't look at national rankings, just where teams stacked up versus each other in ETSU's record book. So there's a little bit of explanation and criteria, maybe a disclaimer, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think you should open it up. You're the much better Bucks historian. You have been here longer. You have better perspective. Uh, you will be wrong at the end of this if we vote and we disagree, but you do have the better perspective and the opinions and really more information. So feel free. Uh, I may go through my little sections as we go along, but uh, this can be kind of a free-flowing conversation. I'm excited for it. Yeah, so I try to start with sort of schedule, who played who, ranked teams, that just to kind of wrap my head around – you know, because I think it matters when you talk about some of this is certainly if a team played more ranked teams, you, I think you factor that in. If you beat an FBS team, I think you factor that in. I think um, if you didn't lose a game all season, I think that factors in. I, I think there's a lot. So here's what I ended up doing. I ended up just jotting down the schedule as is, starting with 69, everybody they played. And then I went and found – ranked games, and they had two ranked games. They were, both were top ten teams, and ETSU obviously was 10-0-1, so they didn't lose any. They didn't tie a ranked game. They were 2-0 versus top ten teams. I looked at the winning percentage of the opposing teams because I think maybe that could tell a story too. And the 69 team, the combined record of the teams they played were 45-56-4, and, and so that's a 45% winning percentage of their opponents. In 96, just taking the simple math to start with, I did the same thing. I took the records just straight as is. I took the ranked opponents. 96 ETSU was 4-2 and two versus ranked teams, and they were 2-2 two and two versus top 10 teams. The winning percentage uh, of that season uh, opponents were 59%. They were 90-63. and 63. Wow. Then you look at, plus that, I also put a side note that they were, now again, this is unfair because 69 didn't have playoffs, so that's very difficult to factor in. But three teams in the Southern Conference made the playoffs in 96. 2021, ETSU was 3-1 and one against ranked teams. They were 1-1 one and one against top 10 teams. Winning percentage, and North Dakota State is still playing. Is this fair? I went ahead and booked them for the championship. <laughs> well, Looking at recent history, I say you're spot on. I, I, I just, you know, and, and if we're off one, it's either going to be. So I, if they went out, the records would be 75 and 74. If they don't went out, it would be 74 and 75 or something like that. So it would still be 50%, right? They won, uh, the opponents won 50% of their games. Then I went and tried to look on who they lost to. Well, in 69, I got a big old circle around no loss. Yeah. In 96, ETSU lost to an FBS team. They lost to the national champions, and they lost to the national runner-up, the two teams that played for the championship. So the number one and two teams, which were ranked number one and two when they played them. Then, 2021, I circled FBS win. I think you have to factor that in. Lost to NDSU, which I put in parentheses, national champions, because <laughs> I believe they will. And then uh, some other team that I, I just couldn't write down. But we all knew who the other team is, right? I just, I just didn't want to physically write that down. So that's where I started with. 
and to try to figure out some numbers. And then that's where I started to sort of mind jam myself because I'm like, okay, you look at three teams go to the playoffs in 96 um, in the league, so the league was stronger. You look at the overall win percentage. Clearly they played better teams as far as win percentage and won more games and then who they lost to. But then I'm going, 69 didn't lose any. You know, the one major game they played in which they were a severe underdog, they throttled a team. They did beat Chattanooga. I think that's also a factor in my mind, whether it's uh, fair or unfair. And then, you know, going 2-0 and against – they played two teams that were fourth, at di- obviously at different times, that were fourth in the country, including Louisiana Tech, and one out there. Then you look at 2021, and you're going, okay, you did lose a big rivalry game, which has a lot of – juice into it you did lose probably national champion but you did have an fbs win but then the league wasn't quite as strong and in fairness the league wasn't strong in the ovc that year either the league records in 69 west kentucky was six three and one east kentucky was six and four tennessee tech was five and five moorhead state and murray state were five four and one and then austin p and, and middle tennessee were still in the league so it was two seven and one one and nine uh and in the non-conference games i think this is where it probably hurt a little bit too. Uh, East Carolina, which was in the Southern Conference, was two and seven. Chattanooga was independent back then, four and six. And of course, they played the bowl game. The Grant LaRice was La Tech, eight and two. If you look at '96, obviously Marshall's national champions. They went fifteen and zero. Furman was nine and four. App State seven and four. Then you get a little hazy because Citadel's four and seven. George Southern's four and seven. VMI's three and eight. Chattanooga's three and eight. Western's four and seven. They played 14-1 Montana. They beat an 8-4 Villanova. Liberty was 5-6. Uh, and six. They played Glenville State, which is 6-4. And, and East Carolina, who was, at this time, FBS, they won, I think it was the Peach Bowl versus NC State. They were 8-3 and three and had two 15, uh, top 15 FBS wins. Now, you go to 2021, and Mercer 7-3, and three, and then you got a pair of teams at 6-5, and five, or three teams at 6-5, and five, uh, Chattanooga, Furman, VMI, Western, Sanford's four and seven, Citadel's four and seven, Wofford, which nobody saw coming, one and ten. Then of course North Dakota State, I've got fourteen and one. Kennesaw State, a solid eleven and two. Delaware State, five and six. UVA Wise, five and six. Vanderbilt, two and ten. So looking at trying to break down just the league number and then take a non-conference out, you got a slight edge, ninety-six over twenty-one, but it's a slight edge. It's really not that much if you look at that the only difference i think was the top end of the league was good enough to get in the playoffs so that's what so that that's where i'm kind of stuck is it is it better that and one won the national champion and, and and i will say this and this was in the period where the southern conference was really rolling because Furman had won in the early 90s then you're talking about marshall going back to back two years after this georgia southern starts their back to back then a, a few years after that App State goes three in a row. So for a 12-year period, it was like nine of 12 champions were in the Southern Conference and were rock and roll. So that that's sort of because it's hard. You, you really just can't go. And our debate yesterday, which was fun, which was I think East Carolina it was way better than Vanderbilt. Eight and three, bowl game one, two top 15 Absolutely. team wins. But Vanderbilt's in the SEC, and you throttle them by 20. So it's really it, – it's hard. You know, and in 69, there, there was none of those games. There was not a money game. You didn't do that. So, And they played a, a couple less games throughout the year to begin with. They only played 
10 games plus a bowl game if you were lucky enough. So you only played 11 games where, again, I just read you, Marshall played 15 games. And so there's there's a lot more things going on. But th- that was my starting point. Where did you start? So let me just go on schedule. I'll summarize what you said, throw in my own twist, and then kind of give an opinion. It seems like the right way to do this part. And then I'll go to where I started because I just want to set that baseline for the 69, 96, and 2021 teams because I think there is an element of headlininess to this type of thing, right? Like, all right, what's the 20 words on this team that makes the quick argument that says that it's the best one ever? But on schedule, 1969 team had the most memorable win in program history. Is that fair? Yes, I, I still think that. Always mentioned to this day. Test of time. It, Absolutely. It, it, Whenever people say, oh, yeah, ETSU football, yeah, did you hear when they beat Terry Bradshaw in the Grant Lenox? They, they will bring it up sometimes when Terry Bradshaw is on national television that he lost that game. Right. So clearly it has stood the test of time on a national level. Now, I get there's a bit of difference here between when the 1969 team beat these opponents and when 1996 and 2021 did, but – I think it is funny that the 1969 team managed to beat East Carolina 7 nothing. Now, as you said, they were SOCON back then, not FBS. And they beat Chattanooga, something the 2021 team could not do. It's just interesting to see both those on the schedule. Common opponents. Who do you give the edge to? Who do you give the edge? Five one-score wins <laughs> for 1969. The 2021 team had six. 1996 team also five. So that's a bit of a wash in terms of everyone wants to say, well, you know, these teams just win close games. Well, all of them are kind of right around the same in terms of one-score wins. Now, I will say, looking back at the scores, especially comparing the teams that they played against, the 1996 team, more impressive to me in terms of result, scoring margin, that type of stuff. Now, this year's team has a lot of big victories as well, but a couple more against UVA-wise. Delaware State, I mean, teams that just don't hold a candle to some of those teams that 1996 did. And then 1969, it was just kind of a different time, right? You didn't have those games that were like 55 to 17 and all that kind of stuff. Um, the non-conference for the 1969 team, App State was actually in the NAIA back then, and they went 6-5 and five in the NAIA. Non-conference Chattanooga was independent. Bucks uh, beat them on their homecoming, which I just thought I'd throw in because I know you'd like that. Louisiana Tech won the Gulf States Conference, as you mentioned, ranked number four in the AP poll when the Bucks beat them. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And they, keep in mind, some of the things they did that game, they sacked Terry Bradshaw 12 times. They had three interceptions. Um, you mentioned the 1996 beat four nationally ranked teams. 2021 only beat three, right? But you did then have the FBS win. Um, so the 2021 team beats the Power Five opponent. And I think where... I got hung up yesterday when we were talking in the conversation, Vanderbilt and East Carolina, 25 years apart. SEC school Vanderbilt that you beat by 20 versus losing to East Carolina by 24, 44-point gap. Who's got more resources? Who's got more clout, even though the program is terrible, right, in Vanderbilt? Who is more nationally recognized? Um, How has the landscape changed just in general? Uh, To me, the Vanderbilt win by that much – is such a huge statement because you are just outmanned, outgunned, and everything's so competitive in terms of getting into the SEC right now that the caliber of player that Vanderbilt would have would be that much better than East Carolina, in my opinion. Now, I think I would say, to your argument, if East Carolina 
had been, you know, a team that was more around the level of Vanderbilt uh, in terms of two and ten, you know, two three wins. Obviously, then you've got a drastic shift towards 2021. But when you do have an eight-win team, and you go and do what East Carolina was able to do that year, versus a Vanderbilt team that was so miserable, it is compelling to say, well, you lose by 24, but that team would have beaten Vanderbilt by X amount of points this year if you just look team versus team and take out all the resource factors, conferences, the way that the Power Five has emerged and grown and such, um, which I don't think you can do, but if you do do that, then it is interesting to say team versus team, who's better, and then how does the fact that you've lost by 24 in 1996 versus one by 20 in 2021 change how you think about it. Um, Both the 1996 team and... 2021 team beat five opponents by 20 or more, only two for 1969, as we mentioned, kind of a different game. Schedule-wise, it is difficult because there are different arguments that I could see for each of the teams. As you mentioned, the undefeated. That is kind of a trump card if you get into certain conversations. But the 1996, I was not aware that the three losses were to, I knew the FBS loss, but then to the number one in two teams in the country, that is pretty shocking. I mean, my eyeballs kind of popped when he told me that. Um, but then you only got two losses here in 2021. You beat three ranked teams, that four in 1996. I think schedule-wise, I maybe give the slight edge, despite the Power 5 win to 1996, but it is very close to a wash for me. Here's the headline on each of these teams for me. 90, or 69, pardon me, the only undefeated team, right? Won the school's only OVC title. Pretty impressive. 1996, slight edge on the 2021 team in ranking because they got to 7th nationally at one point in the year. The Bucks got to 8th. Also, a slight edge over ETSU in seeding. The Bucks were number 6 that year. I know there were 16 teams versus 24. Every team was quote-unquote seeded then. It was 1 through 16. Uh, no title for the 1996 team. Yeah, I, back up just for a sure. second, because the, the rankings, I think, y- you say, it, and you didn't yada yada, but here's the important part to remember. The respect for the Southern Conference, if you won two or three games in a row in the league, you got ranked and were ranked high just because you were in a great league. In 2021, you had to commit a capital murder to get, rated, to get ranked. I mean, seriously, like, I, I don't know, I mean, when the national media is writing that Randy Sanders isn't even the top five coach and the, the disrespect that's going on. So 96 had the unfair advantage of getting ranked just because if you won a couple league games, well, my goodness, you won some games in the Southern Conference, just like Missouri Valley. When you see these teams get ranked out of nowhere, and you're going, great, they're 2-0 in Missouri Valley, and then they lose four in a row. So big uphill battle. Uh, yes. So 2021. 2021 should get, I think, more credit for getting ranked eighth than – 96 for that reason as much as i'll uh defend 96 in certain aspects and i'm going to defend 2021 and i've got a couple good ones on 69 i've I've, uh, got as well but one of my big arguments for that if you want to use rankings of where the national media thought you were that's one of my big arguments was because it takes a lot i mean chattanooga had to beat etsu to barely get in the top 25 and you're trying to tell me that at that point in time, they weren't a top 25 team. I scoff at anybody who, you know, they didn't end up top 25. That's fine. Maybe they're right, but that's not the long game, right? You're supposed to go where you are in the season. 
at that point, and there's no reason Chattanooga should not have been ranked at that point. And my goodness, I'm defending Chattanooga. Okay, people, this is how this is much I, I am so mad at just the rankings and the disrespect for certain teams in the Southern Conference. But that that means that I don't mean to, but I just I don't want to lose that thought because I think that's a very important point. I would put in favor of 2021 because they don't get the benefit of the doubt. So 69, only undefeated team, school's only OVC title. 96, slight edge in ranking by one spot and in terms of seeding by one spot. But, again, no title. And the other two teams won a title. 2021, winningest team in program history with 11 victories. That obviously holds a ton of weight for me. Uh, Only outright title in program history. And, of course, the 96 team lost to Marshall, so that's why they didn't have that title. And then there's a lot of washes between 96 and 2021, right? There's so many comparisons and so many similarities, and we did it all year long. It seemed like every single time ETSU had done something, it was the first time since 1996. I mean, time and time again, that's what came up. Both teams, 96 and 21, a draw on a couple of things, including the playoff win, the only two in program history. Those two playoff wins, one per team. And the FCS quarterfinals, the only two advancements to that point in program history. So 69 on the historical element and the headline that you look at, to me that says they're the first, right? And then the fight over who is the best is between 96 and 2021. But then you look at some of the other stuff and talking about the 69 team and you're like, ah. I don't think you can write them off that easily. I think schedule is one of them because they were undefeated. I think the fact that they did win the title, um, and just because of the – there's a couple of stat things that we'll get to. But just because of the different era that it was in, I think that the instant inclination from specifically people like me – you do better about this than I do. But specifically people like me is to say, look at the stats. I mean, they don't even measure up. and Look how many points they were putting up. And, I mean, that's – soft. I mean, they couldn't have competed with these two teams. Like, guys didn't even work out back then. You know, like, they're, they're, they have pads, leather helmets. Like, you know, you, you go back and you, you start to rip them on things that are not really important because all they could do is play the game at the time. All they could do was beat the teams that were put in front of them. And they did that without exception. I get the tie, I guess. But you know what I mean. No losses. And they didn't have overtime. I mean, who, who right. knows if they would have won exactly. an overtime game, So right? just so different, but that doesn't mean you can automatically just say, well, they don't belong in this conversation. They absolutely belong in the conversation because of the way that they moved through that year, the fact that they did something that had never been done and still has never been done in this university's history, the fact that they took a title. Um, they, for their time, were – Arguably, and this is why we're having the conversation, better than the 96 and 21 teams for their time, which is why this conversation gets a little bit unfair for the old school teams because we are used to judging things based off new school terms, right? Uh, So those are the headlines for me. We went through the schedule. Where do you want to go from here? Because I've got offense and defense. Let's start with defense because I think the the one thing that 69 is going to have trouble competing with is going to be on offense. But I think there's a good, um, a good argument for 69 Agreed. being the best defensive team. Agreed. So I think we start defense because I'm afraid if we do, and, and uh, I did. I was trying to look up special teams. I didn't get enough time to do that, and that's hard to quantify too because there's not great some, punting team. Right. So there's some. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> there's some things there, uh, and 
Anyways, I think we start defense. Uh, why don't you go and I'll fill in some gaps. I'm with you that 69 I think might be the best defensive team. Third best in Buck history, allowing just 224 yards per game. I mean, that's incredible. Forced a crazy amount of turnovers. In fact, two of the top three interception marks in program history came from that year. So Tyree Robinson has 11 interceptions. And there was a man on that team that had 11. In one season. In one season. A career. And how good do we think Tyree Robinson? They forced over 33 turnovers. I think it was 33 or 34. uh, I can't read one of the hand scratched on the (laughs) things I got. It's either 33 or 34 turnovers, which is in an 11-game schedule. That's absurd. Over three turnovers a game. And do you have their sack numbers, too? Uh, I have a couple of them. I don't okay, have the total. Yeah, okay, okay, I don't okay. have the total. Billy Casey had the 11 interceptions. Al Guy had nine. And up front, the 12 sacks against Louisiana Tech. I mean, this 2021 team had 22 sacks all year long. That Louisiana Tech team, largely because of the sacks, but also you still have to shut down the rest of the rushing game, the entire rest of the game. Minus 43 rushing yards that day, which is fewest allowed in ETSU's program's history. Collected two shutouts to the 69 team, held five opponents to single digits, and allowed just one to score more than 20. Allowed, I did the math because our record book does not reflect any point-per-game totals before 1970. 9.8 points per game. That is the greatest in Buccaneer history by a couple of points. What are the sack numbers for year long? Uh, It was the second. Now, again, this is a stat I had to go do because in our record book we do not have – that overall, but it was 49 sacks overall. <laughs> so about four and a half per game. Again, you're looking at three <laughs> turnovers per game. You're looking at four and a half. You're looking at 220 yards. I mean, built on defense and just, again, the game was grinded out a bit differently, but still, field position, defense, grind them out. And so that it's hard. I mean, because honestly, some of these, I, I knew the interception numbers were there. Yeah. Because somebody had asked me, well, where do you think, you know, Tyree or somebody is on that? And I'm like, I'd already knew just from going through the history books over time. I was like, well, he's not even in the best single season with his career. And they're like, what are you talking about? So, so I knew that. But I think, the and again, they didn't keep up with third down conversions. They, I mean, there's a lot of stats 69 won't have because yep. they just didn't keep up with it then. But for the stuff that they do have, it's hard not to look at those numbers and just think of how gaudy they were, and especially look at the sack number, and teams weren't throwing the ball that much. Right. I mean, you're talking about a jailbreak. Okay, so the turnovers, the sacks, the total defense, to, to me, they went all three of those categories. Here's the argument for the 96 and 2021 teams, if you want to make them. 1996, and again, just a different game. 69, they're running it more, so the 69 team does not rank – in school history in broken down rush and pass defenses and such. But the best run defense of the group, 1996, 121 per game allowed, fourth best in school history, 33 yards better than this year's team. And it was pretty shocking to me to see that 154 yards per game were allowed by the CTSU defense this year. But you look at it and you say, okay, Kennesaw State and NDSU both put up right in the neighborhood of 280 yards on the ground. So that skews those stats that looked good a lot of the year to all of a sudden looking pretty pedestrian. That 1996 team held eight of their 13 opponents to 20 or less, but they don't rank top 10 in program history in scoring defense or total defense per game. 2021, you could actually argue the fall defense was less prolific than the spring defense. 
because the spring defense earlier this year ranked third best in rush defense per game, ninth all-time in total defense, and sixth in scoring defense. This 2021 defense had probably, in the fall, the greatest red zone defense ever, but finished nearly 100 yards per game outside of the top 10 in program history in total defense, didn't rank in rushing, passing, or scoring defense. They gave up 27 or more in their final four and 48 to Sanford after giving up just 23 points total all non-conference season. So remember, after the non-conference, we were saying, oh my gosh, like this defense has only gotten better somehow. It was incredible in the spring. What's it going to do this year? And I think partially because it was beat up, especially up front, and especially late on in the year when you had to face two of the better rushing teams in the country year in and year out the stats don't measure up for this year's defense. And I think you can make a pretty plausible argument that the spring 2021 defense was better than the fall 2021 defense. Now this fall 2021 offense was maybe the best in program history, which we're going to talk about in a second, but on the defensive note, while I think schedule, I favored 96 historical. I kind of said, well, you know, first versus best, and the best is kind of being split between 96 and 2021, but the first was 69, and how do you measure that? To me, the historical element's kind of a wash, which is why we're having this conversation. Defense, to me, favors 69. The 69 defense, I, I would agree after doing this, I would give them, I would rank it 69, I think, just as you did, the 96, 2021. The one thing 96 had, was what we saw at North Dakota State, the defensive line for ETSU. All those guys got a cup of coffee either with the pros or arena or XFL or all of the above, all three of the front three. And then you look at some of the best tacklers in ETSU history, and it's Mario Hankerson, it's Derek Fudge, it's Tarek Robbins, are all top ten guys. Now, Donovan Manuel would have stayed. He would have been there. Folks was injury plagued, so he just didn't get there. Dylan Weigel did, but he was on the 18 team, not the – 21 team so the back end though that's what's a little bit interesting because although we love you know Adam Walton and and some of those guys but the back end and would you have to say 69 because all the interceptions and all that right then you would have to say 2021 would be there after that and then 96 would lack in that which again we're splitting hairs before Adam hears this and calls me but we're (laughs) splitting hairs on this right this is what we're doing but I think from defense, I think 69. The more I got into this, I did not expect that. And that's one of the fun things when we're doing this, you get to, to dive in a little more. So my check mark goes to 69 is 1, 96 2021 20, 3. Agreed. Fair? Agreed. Okay, now we go to offense. So that's where the 1969 team, as you alluded to, is going to struggle. Because there wasn't a ton that you can point to and say, wow, this stood out. Mike Young was their leading rusher, 3.8 per carry. Now, again, teams were more prepared, I think, at that point for the run, and it was like everybody's keen on the run, and then you throw it here and there. But if you look around the other years during that era, 3.8 is one of the worst yards per carry numbers that you'll find of leading rushers in terms of yards per carry for ETSU, even going back to that era. Um, 815 on the ground for Mike Young. Larry Graham was the QB, about 125 per game, through 12 interceptions. And total yardage-wise, now more of a defensive game, again, understood. But total yardage-wise, a little over half of what the 2021 team was able to gain. Now, 1996, I think you'd agree. 
best passing game in school history. Yes. Because you're not going to have the 2021 team. Now they're in the conversation, but knowing that the run predicated everything that ETSU did on the offensive side this year, that was, you know, second fiddle to Quay Holmes, Jacob Sailors, so on and so forth. Almost 3,000 yards in a season from that 96 team through the year, just over 2,500 this year. Again, in the conversation, but I think that you have to give it to Greg Ryan and that group. They were also tops in passing touchdowns, completions, so on and so forth. Pretty much every significant stat offensively. They they had, and Will Huzzy can go up and get about any catch you want. No doubt. The difference is B.J. Adigan and Anthony Stringfield. Adigan could go get it, and then he just had long touchdown run after long. He could turn a three-yard into a score at any moment. I don't know that ETSU has ever thrown a hitch and someone has gone the distance since football has been back. And so those two receivers are tops, I still argue, in the history of the school playing side by side. So it's a little unfair to Huzzy and them. But in the same token, the fact they're in the conversation and ETSU's passing game has come along. But you're right, predicated on the run all that. So passing 100% Greg Ryan, uh, 96. Maybe it's a little unfair to the 2021 group, but there were guys that had chances to step up and be that second consistent guy. You know, Isaiah Wilson got hurt. That was unfortunate because it looked like he could be that. And then Malik Murray just didn't get as many opportunities in the middle of the year because I think he was skilled enough to be that number two that could be a big-time guy, but just didn't get the shots. Now, a part of this, and I don't know if you're tying it in with the offensive line or not, but the tight ends were better in 2021. Atkins West and all that, just blocking, catching. And, again, I, I was fortunate enough to call on the student station 96, so I, I feel like I have a real good grip on some of these things. And the tight ends in 2021 were better than 96. That's an advantage to the uh, 2021 team. And so it's kind of twofold because I think they were better blockers, number one, and they were certainly better pass catchers. So wide receiver quarterback, I'd go 2021. Tight ends, I would go – or I'm sorry, I would go 96 with the quarterback and the wide receivers. I would take the tight ends from 2021. So 2021 had literally the best offense ever, right? Now we look at the record book, and it's just across the board. They have the stats. They obviously had the wins that were spurred on by a lot of late offense. But 425 points shattered the 1996 points record by 47 points. It was 378. 425 for the 2021 team. Most points, most points per game, total offense, most yardage ever by about 300 yards over the 1996 team, rushing touchdowns and total touchdowns, most ever. Second ever in rush yards, most per attempt by almost a half yard per carry. And if you know how much the CTSU team ran the ball this year, that adds up to be a pretty significant amount of yardage. Almost a half yard per carry better than the next best team. Completion percentage, interesting enough, is almost the exact same between 1996 and 2021. Not to rub it into you, but not quite 62%. Uh, 1996, I think, has the greatest passing game. 2021, I think, has the greatest rushing game. Now, you look at the other element of the offense that the 96 and 2021 teams were maybe putting in the backseat. 1996 was fifth ever in rushing yards in a season. And the 2021 team was fourth ever in pass yardage season. So, as you mentioned, there's a lot of hair splitting that we need to do because especially the 1996 and 2021 teams offensively are so close, so mirror images of each other as long as you're flipping, you know, what led the offense, which was passing the 96, rushing here in 2021. My vote for the offense is 2021. 
21 because of the records that they broke, because they limited turnovers so well. I'm not saying 96 didn't do that, but it was impressive how Tyler Idell went from, you know, what he was seven months ago to what he is now. And I know we're not trying to break down individual stuff, but the fact that he was a you know, freshman All-American um, and made that kind of progress and was able to lead an offense that's so heavy on run checks at the line, recognizing defenses, making sure that you can put those guys in the right position, and the fact that, you know, quite honestly, we look at pass yards, like we said, they're only four or 500 yards off of that 1996 team. I'm giving the edge offensively, and it is a slight edge, but it is an edge to 2021 they broke all the records they've got the points they've got the yardage it is very close but and maybe it's just because it's fresher in my mind and I got to see it um they did some incredible things on the offensive side of the ball and they did it out of absolutely nowhere the offense was clearly the second best unit the first six years this program was back and you could argue this year it was uh better I don't even know if there is an argument better than the defense I think the 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 one thing too I would stick is 96 offensive line, and I did not, until you were talking, I didn't think to look this up, but I was curious to see, and I don't have this number, how many sacks 96 would have allowed because they had some pros on that offensive line. And not that ETSU, I think Tremont Shorts, especially with him, every everybody <laughs> that's ever heard of college football has yes. offered him. Yes. So Power five offers now, too. If he gets, I thought, yeah, Virginia, Colorado, there's some Nebraska. other. Nebraska. Austin, here, oh, yeah, a good yeah, connection. Yeah, that's sure. cheap. So um, he gets there and shows he, he could be one. But you got Jim Beverly, you got Sam Haney, you got Manny uh, Laneza. That was a nasty offensive line and was very good at keeping Greg Ryan upright. And so that's the one thing. But you look at the running numbers, right, and it's hard to argue. Now, 96 put the ball up in the air a few more attempts than what we saw in 2021. But the, you are splitting – hairs because it would have been a hard argument years ago people would scoff at you if you would say there would be a better tandem in the backfield than walker and edwards and now you it's 2,000 yard rushers i mean i think as as much as it pains i think guys that played with them to admit it's hard not to look at somebody and go they they both in the same season went for over a thousand first time ever it's so rushing edge um all four of those guys could catch the ball out of the backfield all four of those guys, especially with Quay Holmes hitting some home runs, all four of those guys could hit home runs. I mean, you gave them the ball, all four could house it at any moment. But I think the edge, if you're being fair, would have to go to 2021. I would just have to wait and see, and I don't know if I could look that up, but I was curious to see where the lines stood, Mm. uh, offensive lines, because I think that's another slight factor, because I think if Rydell had a, a little bit more time in a couple of games, right? I think that would be – but I don't know if that's the deciding factor that would push 96 over because you could simply look, well, 2021 was able to road grade for the ground game. So 2021 – and I say this, the most underrated player probably the 2021 season that will always be underrated from now until the end of time is going to be Tyler Rydell. He is probably going to be – just because you had Holmes and Sailors, you had Huzzy making catches, you had such a good defense and the names that just – you know, the Tyree Robinsons that was here. Folks is going to live in infamy because of the eight years. You know, you look at all that, and I think Rydell's going to be the tenth guy you mentioned. And so I think that's the unfortunate part. And 
at this stage of their career, 96 and 2021, everyone's going to take Greg Ryan. But that doesn't mean in a few more years that that would be the case because you're already seeing Rydell, who didn't have the big body, who didn't have a huge arm, be able to put up numbers, command the offense. And you mentioned it earlier, it is so underrated and lost, the fact of how intelligent he was in the run game or the audibles and the checks and to always seem to get and, – and that's the one thing Randy Sanders said, okay, well, a couple passing decisions he didn't like. But how many times did you say, well, Tyler just couldn't get us in the right run situation? Hardly ever or never. So I think 2021 is going to get a slight check mark over 96 on this, and then obviously 69 um, is, is going to be bringing up the rear there. So wh- wh- where's, the, where's the final tally here? What does that bring us to? Well, if you're keeping score um – I put the headline historical element as a wash. I gave schedule to 1996, gave defense to 69, and gave offense to 21. <laughs> it's 1-1-1-1. So you're Sanders, it's not. This isn't going to surprise anybody. I'm taking the 2021 team. And it's partially because, obviously, I am the recency, what flashed into my head, what did I see, what could compete with, that comeback, right, against Kennesaw State, that championship moment. And you can't consider any of that when you're talking about this stuff because you know that 69 and 96 had those two. I wasn't around for those, and so I can't speak intelligently on those. So including that kind of stuff is not fair. It is very hard to separate that part for me. If we're going based off of all the things we just did, and it comes up tied, 1-1-1-1, then I'm going to the intangibles, and the intangibles for me are the offense took a crazy amount of strides and had the greatest season in program history. The Power 5 win, obviously I argued a bit more for Vanderbilt on that versus the East Carolina win, and that's where you and me, I think, differ, um, or the East Carolina loss, I should say, where you and me differ, the 96 team, 24-point loss to East Carolina, the 2021 team, 20-point win over Vanderbilt. I take the win, you take the loss. Um, and if you just look at, kind of the storybook nature of how this went. And then you talk about storybooks, we'd have to bring in 2018. But they're probably fourth on that list um, of the conversation that we're having. You look at how things unfolded, everything that the team was able to accomplish, the record-setting offense, the fact that they were so good in the non-conference and the defense, and then came up with the clutch defense that they did in the red zone, the Power 5 win, the playoff appearance, going on to being on the biggest stage, um, there's a great argument for both teams that are not 2021, but the greatest offensive program history, a defense that was tremendous when it needed to be, and the Power Five win, all the records that were set, I'm going with 2021. So I want to defend some first. I, I, I didn't just take the loss. You took the loss. <laughs> You're like, East Carolina, 24 right loss. So my, my argument basically, uh, just to defend that point, was if those two teams lined up, East Carolina is going to destroy Vandy. Do I think the the 2021 team would be good against that? And so, to put that in comparison, App State was nine and three. So, do we think ETSU would have? My thought is, do the 2021 team could they have kept it within 20 of that? That 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 would be the team I would use. If they went up to Boone this year, first game of the year, could they have kept it within 20? That's sort of the argument. And and let's say, okay, if they kept it within 17, does that mean that's a win? Uh, no, but I mean, I think you're splitting here, but that would be my argument is East Carolina at that time was 
had a national recognition. They were putting guys in the NFL with Jeff Blake, David Garrard, a quarterback. And so there was some – they were sort of the app state of the state of North Carolina at that time sure. at the FBS level. That was my only well, argument. And, and that that fair, was my only defense of that. I, I didn't just say, well, they lost the FBS, so it's fine. Right, <laughs> you right. you right. right. summarized it. Yeah, yeah. I, I skipped all the BS and just got and, straight and to again, the point. And, and it's, a, it's a very valid point. East Carolina is, if you just – in the scheme of the world, just like App State, in the scheme of the world, the budgets and the fact that you play in the most – power conference that just just for being in the conference you get like 300 million <laughs> i mean you don't do anything and trust me i was there they don't do anything there at vanderbilt they don't even let you in the building it's such a terrible ran uh, organization because they don't have an athletic department right they're just like ah, so. so that being said now i just want to get i think i i had thought about this i wrote this down and i was going to put and i mean a minute slight edge to 96 because i just can't get over that the fact that they lost to a team that won a bowl, and, sure. and more importantly, the FCS losses were to one sure. and two. Sure. But then Matt Wilgham sent me a message, and I'm going to try to, and I should have had this pulled up earlier, and I thought it was an interesting take because he was on the sidelines not as a player but as a recruit, 96, for the Marshall game. Interesting. He, he came in, and so he also played with those guys. And so I thought, you know, he for sure, when I was like, hey, I, I told him what we were doing. And, of course, he was just like, well, why are you even doing it? You're trying to divide her. But I was like, no, I'm not trying to. Spirited debate. There's nothing wrong with it. All these teams are great. Let's just get that out there. We know how phenomenal these were. And we're just talking about slight little differences because this is fun conversation. You get to relive some history. You get to talk about some teams that we don't talk about enough on this show and don't talk about enough really in this athletic department or in this history as we go through so, what football has done. Right, and, and I told him, I said, hey, we're It's a good a, thing. We're revisiting we, we, history. We run a podcast and we're, and we're trying to get conversation going with ETSU. Well, what gets conversation going? It's not, again, all these three teams, it's not even debatable with the three best teams in 2018. Again, no offense, you're the fourth best team ever in school history. So Matt finally wrote me back after we went back and forth on this, and, he, and I'm just going to read exactly this. He says, if we keep holding on to past years as the best years ever. That means no progress. Biggest win ever, he put in quotes, is what you say when you don't have championships to count. We are setting the expectation of conference championships, and now we want more. I'm ready for it. We should be celebrating this team and moving forward. So that being said, <laughs> I love where his head's at, right? Because if you constantly, you know, we're going to be good at 6'9". Well, you have a chance. And let's be honest, before the Randy Sanders retirement announcement on Monday, everyone that's a Buck fan had already booked the trip to the playoffs next year, and you were going to do it for the first time ever, right? The Bucks have never gone back-to-back playoffs. Sure. So you can look at it that way. ETSU's never gone back-to-back bowl games. You go back to the 60s. They've not had back-to-back championships ever. That being said, I think I like where Matt's head's at. And so I'm going to slightly – because he was, he played with those guys. He was there. And he wants to take ETSU to the next level, and he thinks if you don't sort of turn the dial and you go back, and I don't know if it's uh, specific to this argument, I think he was talking more holistic about it than me and you just sitting here yelling at each other in a microphone and, and giving our thing. I, I still think slight edge, 96. But I'm going to give Mike Gallagher a half win because Will Jim sides with Gallagher. I take his opinion highly. Much higher than mine. On ETSU football. So I'm unfortunately 
am going to have to take an L on this, and uh, Gallagher and his team wins. So, there you go, people. I think that's as fair as I could be about everything. I am the smartest man alive! Feels good. Oh, no, Feels good. No, 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 no. Oh, boy. No, no. no yeah, I, I got I, something yeah, else to say. Former uh, Buccaneer Sports Network employee, Julianne Cooley. And God bless Julianne because she was working with an all-man team back in uh, – uh, what was that, the last year of football, 2003, and she was on our production crew and had to put up with a lot. But I'm going to read, the, I, I don't know, I, I think she's on some, hopped up on some medication. Uh, she says she doesn't miss a second of the radio, and oh my goodness, I love Santos and the sidekick, and Mike Gallagher is awesome, and I need a drug test. Whoa, whoa, I need whoa, whoa, a drug test. Julianne, I love you. Oh, you are the best. You're one of my favorite workers I've ever had, but oh my I've gosh. got to have you. I'm sorry. We've got to have her drug test. Well, no, I mean, we need to build a statue up no, in the studio. No, That's we, what we, we need we to gotta, do. We gotta, like, can we immortalize her with a plaque or something get... on the wall? That's fantastic. Uh, uh, in in all, all seriousness, before we wrap this up and get to some fun on the coaches' side of things. Well, this was fun, too. All three of these teams, phenomenal. 69 deserves all of the credit that they have ever gotten and will get going forward. We should not forget that team. We shouldn't forget the 96 team, which was obviously in the modern day as we got more towards, you know, 2000s, the way football is played now. Uh, Fantastic. I I mean, as good as it got until this year. And maybe if you break it down further, maybe it was better or slightly whatever it is. They're pretty comparable. And then now we've got this amazing 2021 team to celebrate. Uh, All three great in their own ways. And that's the beauty of it is that we can go back through history and there is a tradition here. While it may not be, you know, laced with championships, um, it's got its distinct eras. And that's super cool to me because they're all a little bit different, which is why it was fun to compare. It, it was very fun to compare, very fun to look up and even learn more, um, even for me. And I feel like I'm a pretty good historian, but to find out different things when you do this. I also think it's fun to see the guys from 69 and 96 lose their ever-loving mind for the team in the now. And not, <laughs> yeah, for sure. and not having football for a while and then getting them back and seeing how much these guys want those guys to succeed, just like we saw Brandon Walker do the video of, hey, man, I'm glad you broke the record. Yeah. I'm so happy you did. So even though we're debating this, I, these guys aren't. These guys are like, I want them to win as many games as humanly possible, race all of our records. I want ETSU to be on the map again. And the numbers came out, and ETSU's on the map. 1.77 million views. It's the, I think it was the most in four years. So if nothing else, it told FCS in America, hey, you can keep, keep getting these retread games all you want to, but if you get some new blood in there, maybe you guys should be wanting that and wanting to pump it up there, Craig Haley and all these other uh, national guys that don't want to give anybody credit. Maybe you want that because that will drive some numbers. And, it's, I mean, you – you want to talk stats, numbers, and facts? The 1.77 million spoke for itself. A lot of the, people to watch. The other game was like 670,000. Almost three times as many. So three suck it. All right. Yeah. Almost. Commercial break. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky. But for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun.
So we go with the sinister laugh here for the. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how this goes. All I know is, you preface this on Monday. We're going to do your thoughts on the initial coaching search, and some names. And I'm assuming. You're going to take this super serious. That's what I'm assuming. Well, apologies to people for not getting to it on Monday. The show is already going like, you know, it would have been a two-hour show if we would have done this. It was a super emotional moment because we obviously didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so we had content bump it, right? This coaching search is ongoing. And so we figured there wasn't going to be a coach named by Thursday. So our speculation, our serious takes on, and that's where we should probably start, who will the coach be for ETSU after Randy Sanders announced his retirement on Monday? Who's that going to step into a great situation and inherit a team that, for all intents and purposes, it certainly seems like is going to be, regardless of what has happened so far in the transfer portal with Donovan Manuel and Trayvon Short, so on and so forth. Um, there's a couple of others that have put their name in as well. Not as big of contributors, but still you know, big pieces of the team. Um, regardless of who goes in, I think you're still going to look at ETSU as a favorite next year. And I think that whoever the coach is in this hotly contested coaching search where the Bucks, I'm sure, are fielding a ton of calls. I'm sure Scott Carter, Brian Nolan are on the horn daily, consistently. Uh, but that's why we bumped it. And now it's here, and we're going to start with our series takes and very slowly watch Jay Sandoz down a dark and odd path. I just want to put a disclaimer. <laughs> None of these names are official. <laughs> yeah. There is a two-man committee. It is a fullback and a doctor, one being the president of the university, Dr. Nolan, the other one being Scott Cotter, athletic director. I, we have no inside info. This same thing as basketball. When everyone sends me messages and drops me names or asks me if it's true or not, I didn't know Simon Harris and Desmond Oliver. I knew Simon Harris was going to be the coach when I saw it on Twitter. I knew Desmond Oliver probably about two hours before it came out on Twitter. That's typically um, when we find stuff out. Right. I, I knew Steve Forbes um, about three days early. Oh. That was the the first. That's the only one I think I knew. I didn't know Carl Torbush until the day before, um, and again I think that had even broke uh, right about the time I had found out. So there's no inside info. This I I will give these, and I've not heard this. I don't know where he's going with this, but I will give you this. But I just want to put the disclaimer: these is by no means, and I'm sure as he gets towards the end, you know it's not going to be an official list, but. He's by yeah. no means an yeah. official list. This is just us having fun and throwing names out there. Go. Okay, well, firstly, why don't you give your serious thoughts on speculation of who you think it might be because you're going to be more plugged in than myself on this. Well, here, here's what happened, and here's what I think is going to happen again this year, and you just mentioned it. I even asked Randy Sanders. I was like, hey, did you throw any names out there? And he said, no, they, they were coming up with a short list. He said, all I told him was, they didn't know I was available and interested in the job four years ago. Hmm. And I had my agent reach out and say, hey, I know you wanted to talk to me the first time around, but I just took in the job at Florida State, and I'm a loyal guy, so I didn't want to hang them up after already taking the job and being on the job for a month. So you didn't know I was out there. This job is more desirable than it was four years ago. Absolutely. We just hit the national level. There are going to be people you never thought of. So before you start calling people, you need to just wait a couple of days, 48 hours. The phone will clearly ring, and just see if there's somebody that's got the, the cachet. Now, I think the obvious popular pick amongst former players is Billy Taylor. Right. I, it's 1,000%. That's who they want. And I think you're doing a disservice if you don't wait and see who's interested because you just don't know who's out there. I mean, again, when you heard 
as a fan, speaking to the fans, as you heard Randy Sanders took the job, I think the overall thing was, oh, my gosh, home run. Like, how in the world no doubt. did you get that? And is it hard to argue? Two championships, maybe could have had a third if a couple teams weren't scared to play in the spring. And you could have had three of them. But in the four years, you're talking about what a, what a great run. So I think the obvious fan choice – and then you hear some, some – some crazy, crazy talk out there where you hear, you know, uh, the Witten brothers or Sean Witten, or you hear. Uh, uh, Coach Let's not Cole. get ahead of ourselves. Okay, all right. No, all right. Oh, I, I don't oh. think that's so crazy. I don't know. Okay, I don't here think we go. That's here so we crazy. Go. Um, just a couple of names I've seen on Twitter or behind closed doors conversations of people that are not involved in this process, but are just throwing things out there to have fun. Maybe they're hopeful. Uh, maybe they just think it makes sense. Uh, Mike Smith. Former Super Bowl champion. He's still around the university a lot. Um, obviously a tremendous football coach. Well, two or three-time coach of the year. Right. Right. I think I think it's – I know two for sure. It might be three-time coach of the year. Let me just say I do have a little inside info on that because I talked to Mike Smith a few years ago, and he told me that they did reach out four years ago and say, hey, Mike, we want you to help with the search, but we wouldn't be doing, you know – it would be disrespectful if we didn't look at you and say, do you want the job? And he was building, uh, which he still lives. Uh, I don't want to take exactly where he lives, but he, I almost want to give everybody his home address. You away really do on this show. So, You're but, divulging personal details. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is nobody invites me to their house. They just tell me where they live. So uh, fair point. But he built a, um, a house here in the region. He's joined some golf clubs. He's you know picked up fishing or picked up golf. I think he always was a fisherman. He's picked up golf. He's done some things. But my guess is being four years, if he didn't want it four years ago and he could have had it, my guess is he, he does not want it now. Well, here's, again, But if he wanted it, he would be the number one choice if he would take speculatory, it. Speculatory, obviously. Uh, I've talked to him twice in my life. Uh, very nice guy. Um, the only thing that I would say on that point of not wanting it four years ago and now maybe having a change of heart is that he was still coaching four years ago. He was wrapping up his coaching career, or at least to this point, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as defensive coordinator. That was 2018, right? Oh, yeah. So, so, actually, after we hired, he got that. I think it was right after we hired, I think he got that job, if I'm not mistaken. I think he got hired in January, right? Because Randy, no, Randy got hired December 17th. Yes, correct. And Mike Smith wrapped up his defensive coordinator stint in Tampa Bay at the end of the 2018 season. Oh, was he there 17 yes. and 18? Yep. Oh, I thought he only did one year. So, Maybe you take a little time away, you get your time to do whatever, and you so he's got just the miss football. He's got, he's got the know, bug I don't back. Know. So and, and I do wonder a little bit, and we don't have to talk about this a ton, but will Randy have that same feeling? You know, at 56, you get a couple of years, you're with your kids, you spend some time with them, and then eh, maybe come back for a couple of years, do this. I don't know, but you just don't know until you're away from something if you're going to get that feeling or not. So maybe Mike Smith there, possibility. You think he would be absolutely home run number one choice if he's out there three times sporting news NFL coach of the year? You'd have to figure it. It would it, – and I realize pro and college are different. Um, I do know Mike Smith, Billy Taylor are tight. And uh, uh, did, I don't remember if they overlapped one year or right back-to-back, but either or, they're tight. You would assume he would keep Billy and, and um, you know, plus Smith being a defensive guy, they would be able to I, – I mean, I think that, that would – obviously I think that's a home run hire because Billy and – some of the staff have been recruiting. I'm assuming Mike Smith would not change up a staff a whole lot. I don't know that to be true, but 
I'm assuming some of the key pieces I think he would keep in place. Now, I should say one little asterisk to me saying he was there through 2018. Mid-October, he was let go from Tampa Bay. So that's where – But but, right. but I'm still, still off. You, there, you, right. you were correct. I, I was off in the timing of that. T. Martin, former guest of Santos and the Sidekick. Oof. He's been wanting to get the, the shot. Um, he, he resembles in terms of era. Now, he was a player. Randy was – the coach, obviously, of those teams, but Tennessee guy. Been offense coordinator and can't get a shot at head coach. Does he take that? That's an inch. Uh, Receiver's um, coach for the Baltimore Ravens right now. Right. It, but this is a nice game, obviously. obviously. Was it USC? I think he was offense coordinator. Uh, a passing keep, game? Keep in mind, he came on Santos and the sidekick four days before he was fired at USC. <laughs> the Santos and the sidekick so it's the anti. So it's the, it's the anti-pregame uh, show thing, yes, right? Correct. So if you come yes. on Santos' sidekick, you get fired. But if you go on the pregame show, you're fine. Talk or don't talk to okay. me. You're okay. getting fired. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, but I think he had, he's been begging to get the chance and has not gotten the chance. Um, we do know, right, wrong, and different, that he was offensive coordinator at USC for three years. I mean, that's ETSU does love the Tennessee people, but right, wrong, and different, love them. They do like that. Is a that's an interesting name. Intriguing. Um, I think if T. Martin called, I think Scott Carter would pick up the phone. Yes. Here's one that I is not going to happen. Uh, I'm, again, slowly bringing you to a different direction than I think many would believe this would be headed. I wish, also, a former guest of Santos and the Sidekick, I mean, all the coaching candidates, great, come on the show, be considered, at least by us. And if he would have had the chance in 2018, if this job was open in 2018 again, and Randy Sanders didn't call him, he was obviously an amazing choice, and this man would have stayed on the path he was going down, I think that he would have a shot for the job then. And even if he just would have continued to coach throughout the last couple of years, Donnie Abraham was with Illinois in 2017 mm-hmm. and then had to step away, right? Uh, I believe at the time it was just termed, you know, personal reasons was stepping away. And then was with the Orlando Apollos of our favorite defunct football league, the AAF, in 2019. But that's been his only job since stepping away from Illinois in 2017 in terms of coaching. So – Great connection. The fact that he was in coaching for a while, I really wish he would have gotten back into it full-time. Now he hasn't coached in two years. Probably not going to just be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, come coach, since he's been out of it for a bit. But it would have been so intriguing if he would have, say, been at Illinois for another three or four years. Yeah, and I think his kid's playing at Marshall right now, which is just blasphemy for a, a guy who played ETSU versus Marshall during that time. But, um, you know, he's on Lovey. I think it was Lovey Smith's staff. And I think that would be an interesting one because – there's just not that many, I think, ETSU guys that have played and significantly played that have gone on to coaching, and you always want to bring that around. So this is the last one in the serious column, and judge this segment how you will based off the fact that these fell under serious. But the reason I'm saying that these are serious is because I think they deserve legitimate consideration based on the fact that Deion Sanders – just went undefeated oh, in wow. league play down at Jackson State, has brought, according to the mayor, $30 million in revenue to the city just by being there, drew 44,000 people a game to Jackson State, had 58,000 at one of them, and just flipped the number one recruit in the country from his alma mater to Jackson State. If that's not success in X amount of months that he's been there, was it been a year and a half now, I think, like 18 months? Um, two seasons. It may not even be 18 months. It's been two seasons, but they both happened this year. So I think you legitimately have to consider, and everyone's going to listen to this and say I'm completely insane, but just look at the success. You legitimately have to consider big names 
former players that can recruit at this level way higher than anyone else that is a coach would be able to. First one I'm going to throw at you. Running backs coach at Oklahoma, DeMarco Murray. Now, he's a former player, right? Three or four years out of the league. Can I comment on Sanders first? Oh, yeah. I would be so in favor of that because the coaches' shows and everything would, I mean, for the entertainment. Well, I'm not saying Deion Sanders is coming here. That's all I'm saying. I'm comparing his, what he's done at Jackson State. To getting someone that is a yeah, but player this is my pitch that. to Deion Sanders. I want him to come so I can do the coaching <laughs> okay. show. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm th- I'm all in. Let's get let's get primetime up here. Let's let him know we're just on national uh, TV uh, playing and that. And then the coaches shows. I mean, I thought Randy Sanders gave us a good sound bites. I listened to a bunch of Deion's press conference. Boy, he can give you some good entertainment value down at the old Wild Wing Cafe. So I, I I don't know what I need to do to pitch Dion this, but I would like to, j- not for anything other than the fact I'm selfish and want to have good coaching shows. Go. I don't even think you'd be needed on the coaching show. I think it would just be prime time Agreed. goes to talks for an hour. Agreed. You know? okay. <laughs> All right, now, now, now as a derail, so, we go back. Yeah, keep DeMarco in mind, Murray. this is still the serious part. There is more ridiculousness ahead. Um, DeMarco Murray, running back's coach at Oklahoma, he's only three, four years out of the league, which was surprising me. I think he was out in like 2018. I didn't, I didn't know he played that late, but those years with the Titans and such. I think he's still a big enough name from his time in the NFL to come in and not have prime time effect, right? But he's going down that coaching path. He's at a Power 5 school now. Uh, I think that's intriguing just because, again, you could get someone that has been there at a high level. You could get someone with connections higher up. um, And you could get someone that has, quite honestly, done more coaching at a higher level than Deion Sanders did before he got the Jackson State job. Now, when looking at former players and people that have been in the league recently, big names, you threw Jason Witten in the, this is an absurd thought, barrel. Jason and Sean, either one. I think Jason makes unbelievable amounts of sense. I think that he would be, for this area, the prime time of Northeast Tennessee. He's an absolutely massive name. He was on America's team for how many years? He's one of the greatest tight ends in history. He just took up coaching down in Texas. This is his first year as a head coach at one of the high schools down there. We know high school football in Texas is huge. I'm sure he's drawing absolutely crazy amounts of numbers because he's Jason Witten. He is from right down the road. Why do you think that's so crazy? I, I think that, that if he wants to go into coaching, the fact that he's Jason Witten, he could come back home and he could start something here and get a boost at a level he could not reach otherwise, right? He's a high school coach right now. To go to FCS National Championship contending as ETSU is in your second year of coaching, brilliant win-win for him and the university. My guess is uh, he probably likes living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, my other guess is, yeah, I know that family's tight, my guess is he would push for his brother to get the job before he would get the job or would want the job. The other thing is I don't know. Coaching high school is one thing, and you sleep in your own bed. You're not recruiting. You're doing a bunch of other stuff. I don't know how much Jason would want to do that. And I don't know Jason Witten. I've called a few of his high school games when he played Elizabeth, and I was doing Tennessee high games back then. But I don't know that I've ever spoken one word to Jason Witten. I've talked to Sean Witten a lot when I used to do the – High school game of the week on TV, but I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think Jason. My guess is he's going to live in Dallas Fort Worth and not move. I think his brother Sean would probably have a 
better shot. Um, and I don't know how realistic that is either coming from high school, Elizabeth. And, um, but my guess is he would have maybe a better shot uh, than Jason. I don't think – and, and I, I don't know. And maybe it's one of those where it's a combo package. Maybe one's the head coach, one's a coordinator of some kind, or vice versa. Maybe Jason says, I'll take the job. I've got to hire my brother. I don't know. I don't know. The, the Witten name and cachet – and, you know, Sean Witten played at uh, Virginia Tech for Frank Beamer, was a graduate assistant, I think, for former at Tennessee. Um, I want to say he, uh, him and Dave Clawson were tight, and there were rumors of him going to maybe be the Wake Forest uh, offensive coordinator last year, and probably, you know, I don't know if that's still on the table or not. So there's a lot of things uh, that Sean Witten has uh, cooking for him. And, again, how, how much can you do at Elizabethan before you look for the next thing? Right? To me, it would have to be – Jason comes in as the figurehead like Dion is at Jackson State, and then you bring in the more X's and O's guys that are really going to dive into game plan, film watching, all that. And really what Jason is is you kind of see how Herm Edwards has structured everything down at Arizona State. It's kind of like a business, The right? CEO, like, Yeah, right. he's the president, CEO, and he is not going to do a lot of the nitty-gritty deep-dive stuff. Not to say he doesn't know football. He obviously knows football. Um, but if you're saying he doesn't have as much of an interest in all of the things that go – into being a head coach at the college level, well, let's take some of them off his plate and bring in Sean and have Sean do be the guy behind the scenes, the Jason Shea, if we're going to compare a recent coaching staff to what we've seen here. Uh, Jason was the X's and O's guy, and Steve Forbes obviously knows his basketball incredibly well, but Jason did so much of the game planning and knew the plays backwards and forwards and called out the signals and did all that. He was your game day guy where Steve could do a lot of the – he could do what he wanted, quite honestly, because he was the head coach. Jason – do what you want. Bring in the guys around you, and you're going to have a ton of success. Imagine as a recruit seeing Jason Witten walk into the room. That would instantly be, at this level, the, what, second biggest name as a head coach. I mean, it would be Deion Sanders, Jason Witten, and there's going to be people in this area, around this region, that look up to Jason Witten a heck of a lot more than they look up to Deion Sanders. And even if you weren't familiar with Witten or Deion's career, they were on TV, rather than NFL Network, yes. rather to call them Monday Night Football. So there is, even if you weren't if a little bit of a younger generation and didn't know of that, you might have – saw or heard them on TV, and that obviously helps as well. A couple uh, others quickly. Mm-hmm. I know you'll love this one. Wes Welker is the receivers coach for the 49ers. Just saying. Wes Welker, East Tennessee, um, wants to get into coaching, is at the NFL level, much like T. Martin, receivers coach at the NFL level. Makes a lot of sense to come and be a head coach here. Uh, Philip Rivers, also a high school coach. I don't think he's moving his, like, 29 children or whatever to East Tennessee, but if he were to be open to that, Philip Rivers, another huge name, going to go down as a top 20, 25 quarterback of all time, Huge, giant personality, uh, big big in terms of religion, which is huge in this region. You know what I mean? Like, that would be an amazing fit. Okay, so those are the serious ones. Let's go to the crazy ones. How about just hire Jared Folks? I mean, he's been around college football. He wants to get into coaching. I mean, just boom, slide him right in. Um, John Fox, former Panthers head coach, right? FCS champion with Boise State in 1980. Come back to the level. How about Mark Tressman, former Bears head coach? Uh, was in the XFL last year as the Tampa Bay Vipers head man. He's got some time to play with. Jason Garrett was just fired by the Giants, and he couldn't get the Duke job, so if he's that desperate to get into coaching and Duke won't hire him, come down to East Tennessee State. Kevin Sumlin is unemployed, three times a head coach. Only failure was at Arizona, and no one can win there. Everybody loves Lou Holtz. How about Skip, right? Skip Holtz. Just got canned at Louisiana Tech. Got another head coach job waiting for you here. Hey, he's doing anything for you? No, are you done? No, I've got more. Okay, go. Yeah, none, none, of, none, none of them so far. Anything so, at all. Okay. Well, actually, what about Skip? Skip is kind of interesting. Sumlin. 
Someone. Okay. I would take someone in a heartbeat. Okay. Yeah. That's the only one out of those. Yeah, that's the only one out of those that <laughs> okay. did anything for me. Uh, just fired LSU defensive coordinator Bo Pelini, former Nebraska coach. Speaking of Austin Heron connections, Bo Pelini. Oof. We could get Bo Pelini's Twitter account on our side, and that was a very popular one. Yeah, he's uh, his. I wouldn't want to deal with his temper. What about Edward oh, Jawan? Is he okay. on there? Uh, no, Ed? I didn't put that. Can on we here. put Ed on there? I didn't put that on. Okay. Uh, I mean. This is a great one for the area. Speaking of loving former Tennessee guys, Butch Jones would bail on Arkansas State for UTSC, right? Uh, no. I think I think he would. You went two and ten that year. Yeah, well, he doesn't want to be in the area anymore, does he? Yeah, I, I mean, he was I, run out of town. I, I would be. I would be shocked. I, I don't know that you may lose ETSU fans if they hire Butch Jones. That's what I'm going to say. If they have to listen to Brick by Brick one more time or whatever, I think they would. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to follow things that Tennessee has done, should we just get groomers of our own and go for Jay Gruden rather than John Gruden, former Washington football team head coach? He's not doing any coaching right now. Groomers. Fire up the groomers! Uh, He is an offensive guy. He would have complicated language, which Randy Sanders has, so that could could be be an easy – I mean, you know, of course John Gruden sells property around here, so, you know, uh, John could visit Jay. Urban Meyer, just out of a job. Your thoughts? He's been unemployed all of 11 hours. Hey, listen, as long as you keep your wife out of reach, it's a home run. I think if you get him there, uh, I think that that's a huge get if you could get Urban Meyer. What about Steve Spurrier? Uh, Steve Sp- I mean, why not Steve Spurrier? As long as we're throwing out Urban Meyer, throwing Steve Spurrier. Loves the area, been around here, you know. Both Florida, ex-Florida yeah, right, coaches. Sure, and what, could, what could go wrong? There's nothing that could go wrong with any of these hires, including – Jay Gruden, Bo Pelini, Urban Meyer, and Jared Folks. So I think the, the one thing is that we can proudly say is that this search would be slightly less longer than Urban Meyer's uh, NFL career, correct? <laughs> we can hope. We can Woo. hope. 13 games, wow. So my serious one, in all seriousness, I would love to see Billy Taylor get a shot. Everybody knows how I say it week in, week out, how much I love Billy Taylor. He's brilliant. ETSU guy through and through. Never met anyone that loves this university as much as he does. Um, including literally everyone that is on campus you know, at this moment and is on campus at any time since I've been here. It's incredible. Um, long shot would be so great as Jason Witten. I'm still marking that in the serious bucket. Uh, and then the great fun one would be any of the ten that I just named that you think are ridiculous, except for Urban Meyer, which you seem to be on board with. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, he's, he can do it in college. It's, it's the pro game that throws him off. Are you it's rooting for anyone in particular? Or, I mean, you know, give me uh, your I mean, thoughts. This I, isn't just my thing. Please. No, I mean, the, 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 the sentimental is obviously Billy Taylor. Um, if, if it's not Billy Taylor, then I, I hope it's just someone that, sort of like Randy Sanders, has the name, the cachet. Something that when somebody says the name, nobody's going, okay, where'd that guy come Jason from? Jason right? Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> so Oh, you're so beautiful. All right, let's step up. We'll do bold predictions after this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Shohei Otani, I don't care this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 yards. Get a buck 20 max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth 
that should ever be considered the U.S. national team is JaVale McGee. NIL stands for never in life, as in never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. Newly fit Jay Sanders will never scuff another drive at Johnson City Country Club Senior Tour. Here we come. Ah, I hit one after work. It was incredible. I hit one after work yesterday, Mike Gallagher, on hole number. You did? You went to? I did. I, did. Oh. I snuck a few holes in yesterday afternoon, yeah. like about right before it got dark. Hole five. And I know this probably didn't mean a lot to you or the listeners, but anybody knows Johnson City Country Club. Hole five. Uh, it's a... Uh, just a straightforward shot. I hit one so high and left pop-up that it landed about 75 degrees behind me left on the number four green. It's it's almost impossible. I don't know how you – It sounds impossible. It was almost impossible. And then I love uh, the retired guy I played with. Uh, Murdoch was like, hey, man, you want to tee another up? I mean, we're just having fun. I'm like, nope, I'm going to go play it. So I took relief and uh, took my double bogey and thought it was a great double bogey because uh, I played it the way it was supposed to be. Sounds like a miraculous double bogey. It was Um, was, was good. I know you haven't thought about these, so I'm just going to go over our season-long predictions for basketball season again just to keep those on people's minds. Uh, We lost, by the way, if you missed the show on Monday, all of our long-term bowl predictions for football. And the losses are starting to mount. For me, they already were. I'm 4-33 after taking six losses uh, last week on the NDSU-ETSU game and then the uh, long-term bowl prediction as well. You're 13 and 25, so that right around 500 number that you were at for quite some time uh, did took a hit, take a hit last week as well. Uh, for you, long-term bowl prediction for basketball. David Sloan leads the SoCon in assist-to-turnover ratio. That, I think that looks really good right now. Uh, Mohab Yasser, freshman of the year. I think that looks fantastic. Gosh, he, the last five or six games, he's scored at least eight points. He's, I think, maybe starting to find the shot from outside a little bit because that's lacked in the early going of the year. Um, but just a dog, like goes in there, mixes it up. He's impressive. Uh, women's basketball will have a first-team All-SoCon player. Uh, women's basketball is at Jacksonville State tonight. They will be shorthanded. Uh, more information on that on the pregame show, 6.30. I will be down there. i got to hit the road pretty soon here, as a matter of fact. 7 o'clock tap, Bucks and Gamecocks. And you also said that women's basketball would have a 500 or better record on the road. They could take a big step in getting that tonight if they're able to knock off a Gamecock opponent that is and 6-3, having a nice start to the year. I don't think they've had a season below 500 in conference play in the OVC, of course. Now they're in the Atlantic Sun. But in the OVC um, since, like, 2016-17. Solid program. I said Ladarius Brewer will average 20 points per game or more on the season. Okay. He, he has looked more like himself the last couple of games. Uh, single game, three-point record. For the box, uh, I think they have to beat 16. Is that right? They beat 16 against VMI last year. Yes. Desmond Oliver said in the coaches' show he yes. thinks that that team is going to make right? yeah 15 or 20 um, some point this year. So I enjoy hearing that from him. Speak it into existence. It will happen. Women's basketball three plus double digit scorers on the roster. Okay, I need some progress there, but I certainly think it can happen. And then that at some point they're going to win three straight games. I think maybe I said they do that twice. Just says three straight wins. Uh, well, let's. Start with one three-game streak, and then we'll cross that bridge uh, when we come to it, I suppose. Uh, I'll start. Bowl prediction, UNCA game for ETSU men's basketball on Saturday. Uh, Keep in mind, fans that may not have seen, you do have to have either a vaccination card or a negative test within the last 72 hours 
if you are going to go and watch that game. Uh, Asheville, have you been up there a number of times? During the pandemic, even up to like a month or two ago, take this very, very seriously. And even to go into a bar to get a drink or anything like that, you have to have proof of vaccination or a negative test from the last 72 hours. So that is not unique to sporting events. It's pretty much anywhere up there. UNCA hasn't allowed more than seven threes in a game this year. The Bucks get to double digits yet again, and because I didn't think that was bold enough, and they beat the Bulldogs by more than Chattanooga did. I know you love that. That was a five-point win for the Mocs. ETS, he will win by six or more and hit ten or more threes. Jordan King's going to go. He's going to redeem himself. I'm going to go a 20-point effort, Jordan King. 20 for Jordan King. Okay. Penny for president is how I title this one. Memphis just knocked off Alabama. They'll grab another ranked win over Tennessee on a neutral site in Nashville Saturday. That's going to be a fun game. I love their meeting in the middle. That's so cool. That's a great That's a great. Uh, great uh, uh, what would be more contentious, the uh, Penny uh, Barnes handshake, as they mm. had those words a few years ago? Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I'm going with a major upset in college basketball. Oregon at home, who's 6-5, and five, is going to take on Baylor, who's yet to play a road game. They've Number yet one, to play a road game? Nine games, ha. yet to play a road game. I'm going to take the Oregon Ducks with the upset over the top-ranked Baylor Bears on Saturday Sneaky night. good one. Sneaky good one because I love that they're not used to the hostile crowd. That's brilliant. That's a very good pick. Jay Santos will win his fantasy football league playoff game. Oh, wait, not possible because he didn't make the fantasy football playoffs in our work league. Mike Gallagher's team has the highest score of playoff teams as the three seed moves on to the semifinals. Well done by you this year. Did not make the playoffs. Below 500 record. Ouch. Who makes up the tiebreak rules? Was that you? ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. Yeah, you, so head-to-head doesn't matter. So we're, we're just playing a game, it doesn't matter head-to-head who you beat. Look, I head-to-head mean, who you beat. Uh, who am I to argue with the worldwide leader? This is why we don't use ESPN in fantasy, in real fantasy leagues. We use <laughs> oh, other leagues. Oh, okay. Well, Yahoo? Are you living in, like, the early 2000s? Yes, because they actually allow you to look at, you know, stats from previous weeks where they have to hand total them. It, it's so terrible. What are you it's talking terrible. about hand total? You just go to game log on the player profile, and there's the stats from the previous right. week. Do you but, not, really not know how to do that? Right, but if you're looking at uh, free agents, you have to do it on each individual one as opposed to click a button, boom, it spits it all out there for you. Well, I mean, it's just terrible. I think if it's you invested a little bit more time, you it's, might have made the playoffs. Uh, th- th- yes, it's probably true. <laughs> probably true, and who cares? All right, got to come up with one more. I'm going to go with an upset in uh, bowl games. I love bowl game upsets. Oh, Okay, Jacob Townsend. Eastern Michigan, plus 10 against the Liberty Flames. The former Hurons, now Eagles, will beat Liberty Go. The former Hurons? Yeah, the Eastern Michigan Hurons. The Hurons. I like the that because Lake Huron, is that is that right? Uh, I, 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 think it was, I think Huron is actually Indian, and so they had to change that to the Eagles. But there we go. Maybe one of my favorite shows we've done. Uh, that was a good debate, segment one. Segment two craziness ensues and then bold predictions that you had to pull together in like two and a half minutes and you're probably going to get all three right and that's, that's what I, mean, I like that about it perfectly like fitting about it. that you never put any effort into it and still are better than me at it and you're probably going to be at your best it would be just incredible alright Monday we're going to recap some bas- we'll dive into full basketball yeah, season pretty much on it Monday. for football that's yeah, it, that's it. it. it's been fun what? no until we have a coaching hire uh, that's true <laughs> yeah, good point good point alright send us like it back here oh did I go early yeah, yeah it is Oh, I got a little excited. I got to kill 10 seconds. Go All right, that's easy. Uh, by the way, we need to talk, I guess, the uh, early signing. One could be a possible another one by Monday, so we'll talk the two football oh, early okay. signings as well. Oh, the market here. Work, that work.